What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a podcast where you'll feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of 305 Culture. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knock a Few Buck, Daily Thunder, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Drive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y S E dot com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now, let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Joining me this week, as always, is Kenneth Wilson. Kenneth, how you doing? I'm all right, JJ. How you doing, boss? I'm doing all right myself. Quite a, quite a bit worried about the, the Heat's playoff race to the to avoid the plane, but you know, all go to my end. Uh, yeah, man. I see a lot of people worried about that. Strangely enough, man, I'm I'm not worried. What I see during the course of the regular season, um, as far as like you know the Heat, um, playing up or down to their competition or whatever, uh, I expect that. And while I don't like it, um, I kind of expect it. But I also trust Jimmy Butler and the rest of the guys enough to be able to turn it on. When the postseason comes, I know people hate that and say, you know, why do they, you know, why do they, why are they going to wait to then to turn it on? That's how you I, look, man. We, I've seen them do it. I know Jimmy Butler's resume. I trust him. Um, so when the thing means the most, I think you'll have the guys right. So we can avoid the play in situation. Even still, if we get in the play in situation, I think we're good enough to beat whoever we face. However, um, if you can avoid that situation, the, the better. Um, but either way, I think once we get into the playoffs, the Heat will be fine. They can turn it on and they'll see if they can make a run from there. Definitely when a first-round series, the second round is when you really start to get dicey because, you know, you got a bunch of good teams with some quality guys. Yeah, I think it should be, on my end, I think it should be imperative for the Heat to at least get to fifth because then you face the Knicks or the Hawks in the first round. And that's why I feel really comfortable against those teams, not as comfortable in the first round against, say, the Nets, the Bucks, or the Sixers, but if you get to face, but if you get to face the Knicks or the Hawks in the first round, then it's fair game from there. Thing about that though is, so let's say if you stay where you are, right, and 
you know, right now, seventh, whatever, whatever, and you had to face Brooklyn, Philly, or Milwaukee in the first round. Well, the thing, you know, about that is you then turn around and have to face what? Let's say if you're two and seven and one and eight plays, you'll then have to play four and five or uh, three and six. Because you'll then have to play the one of the lesser matchups of the two. Like you won't then try to have to turn around and play the one, you know what I mean? Or whoever wins between the one and eight. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's it's about whether you want to do your hard work in the beginning or do your hard work at the end, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, if you have a hard series to start out with, you're going to have a medium series, for lack of better terms, in the next round. But if you have a medium series in the first round, you're going to have a hard series in the second round. I mean, there's no way to avoid it. So I don't understand what the whole thing about it is like you, you hear people screaming seating 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 yeah I want to avoid the playoff the play-in situation if you can because you know then you're talking about the volatility of win and go home um but at the same time it's like it's not for me to avoid any particular opponent because I mean at the end of the day you're going to face a hard opponent then an easier opponent or an easier opponent than a hard opponent that's just the way it's going to go I guess I agree with your point but I, I would rather face one of the, one of the either Nets, Bucks, or Sixers in the in the second round. In the first, I mean, the first round. Listen, the Hawks and the Knicks are no pushovers. That should be absolutely. That should be clear. However, right, I, which is why I didn't say it easy. I said it easier. And I know you didn't say I said that, but I wanted to highlight the fact that I agree with. I wasn't calling any of them seeds as much as saying. You know, relative to the other guys, you might prefer to face one of those guys. Go ahead. They mean to cut you off. Oh, that's no worries. However, I feel like, especially against New York, Miami has proven this season time and time again that they can beat New York. However, maybe they're playing at a different level. As we've seen, they currently have the longest winning streak in the NBA. They're the talk of the league right now. The New York Knicks are good. I, I guess people have been waiting a long time for that to happen. But it's finally happened. And... Heck, even Julius Randle is making a case for All-NBA, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks about our All-NBA teams. But listen, I would, I'm still of the opinion that I would rather face one of them in the first round and just stay ready for the second round. And, you know, I like our chances against against either the, the, the Bucks or the Nets or the Sixers in the first round. The Nets, I think have a pretty big question mark on their hands because they've been dealing with injuries who are big three all season long and they have a huge question mark regarding health. Can your big three stay healthy for all four series? Right now it doesn't seem like it and it's really weird because James Harden is a player that historically hasn't been injured. He hasn't missed any significant time but now this season he's missed time with a hamstring injury. Kevin Durant has missed a lot of time. Kyrie Irving sometimes He's either missed time due to personal reasons or injury. So I guess I would feel pretty good about facing the Nets in the second round, out of which in injury upon anybody, just to be clear. But I think there's a pretty big chance that the Nets might make it to the second round a bit banged up, and I think that he could take advantage of that. Um, For me, man, I would actually argue that's probably... Look, if you're going to see the Nets, you, you know you're going to get their best because they have three or four guys 
um, that could just get it done against you. And I say that because you have the big three, but then between, um, again, he's not going to kill you like he used to do, but between Blake, Jeff Green, um, DeAndre Jordan, you have another guy who could have an impactful game on you. Bruce Brown, uh, any other Landry Shaman, any other number of guys who could step up and be that fourth guy and kill you on any given day. So I agree with you. Um, the Nets are a tough matchup. However, as you mentioned, um, we recently found out in the last few days that James Harden probably won't make it back until the playoffs begin. Um, now, again, while having James Harden in your lineup is a plus, plus, plus in itself, um, they still haven't played together but six or seven games. Like, they've played a grand total of six or seven games with the three of those guys, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden in the lineup together. While at the same time, you have to imagine that um, he'll be close to 100%. You know, he'll still need to get back, so to speak, as far as rust, game, game shape, um, fluidity of movement. I mean, it's just like when you haven't done something for a while, and even though you're like one of the best to ever do it, you know, you might have to get your timing back down. You might have to say, okay, well, I step here to then make this step, to then finish back on this side, especially with a guy like Jay Harden who uses an array of different steps and, you know, fakes. His game is more about deceiving you and tricking you mentally than it is out-athleting you, if that makes sense. So for a guy like him, I think that that repetition and that timing is important. So you have to include that factor in there. So I don't know. If I had to see one of the big teams first, I'm not so sure I wouldn't want it to be Brooklyn. That's a good point. And Harden, you know, getting in rip back in rhythm in the regular season is one thing. Getting trying to get back in rhythm in the playoffs. That's a whole right. different that's that's a whole different getting story. Back in rhythm for you will throw everyone else and the rest of the team out of rhythm. Or it could. There's a great chance that it could, especially when you're James Harden. I mean, there's always a possibility that he just hits the ground running. That he, that's usually rare, but again, James Harden was one of the greatest talents to ever play this game, so I, I wouldn't even be surprised if he just hits the ground running and the Nets he, look like they haven't missed a beat. I agree with you, but see, here's the thing. For James, what you have to realize is for James Harden to hit the ground running doesn't mean that the Nets are going to hit the ground running. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen what James Harden has done in the regular season, but to take it back to the point that I made earlier, he wasn't really playing with both of them. I mean, at best, um, for the most part, it was him and another one of them. You know what I mean? Remember, yeah. KD spent a lot of time out, so him and Kyrie got a lot of runs together, but then you also had time for KD, um, and I guess James Harden got a little bit because Kyrie was missing whatever, whatever. But um, for him hitting the ground running, man, coming from that Houston situation where – we all know it was James Harden and the James Harden Nets. Like, they just put nine guys around him and told him to, hey, when I give you the ball, you either make a play driving or you shoot it. But other than that, you don't have the ball that long. I own the rock. I make, you know, things happen. I manipulate. I dictate. You just finish the play that I create for you. Um, when you have a James Harden who's used to playing like that, man, just because he hits the ground running doesn't mean that the team is going to hit the ground running, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And in seven, they've only played, I looked it up, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden have played only seven games together. 
that's not that's six or seven i knew it that's not that's not even close to a good sample size for them no man so you can't possibly develop a chemistry between three people on the basketball court uh, because basketball in itself is basically it it's full contact ballet i mean let's just be real basketball is full contact ballet in that it's very physical it's a lot of bumping it's a lot of brushing it's a lot of movement running whatever but at the end of the day we're talking about some of the most graceful coordinated um functional uh just people who are in tune with their bodies and make their bodies do stuff in a way that your body isn't supposed to do it and yeah again we just see it as, as athleticism or them being athletes but if you look at the things they're able to do, like think about James Harden on a crossover and then how he goes from a crossover straight into a step back. Think about James Harden slicing through the lane, taking the perfect amount of steps to throw you off, only to then take the quick side step to the other side where he just so happens to have an open layup. He's alone or he's used the rim to shield you off with those same steps. Think about Kevin Durant, how he'll drive you and then take the long step back and all of a sudden, he's created five feet of space. It's poetry. It's ballet. Um, so to just think about that. Um, and you didn't even mention Kyrie, who might be the most. Right. I mean, right. I, exactly. <laughs> who might be the, the most creative ball handler you'll ever see on an NBA exactly. court. Which is something I could have used to tie it back in. It's like, you can't just create a synergy amongst that you know what i'm saying yeah it makes it makes like, sense it doesn't just fall into place you have to practice with the other people or you're going to be pirouetting into them pirouetting into them doing the swan and to the, you know what i mean think about everybody doing their ballet situation around the stage and they're bumping into each other because they haven't practiced they don't know what the other person's going to do it doesn't work in harmony it's not in sync they're just a bunch of moving parts doing their own thing and if they impede one another they feel as though their talent will help them overcome um and as you mentioned Kyrie handles the ball um like a magician but when James Harden is handling the rock and pounding the pound the pound that can't be nearly as effective there's just no way but no. that's one of those things that has to be worked out and can only be worked out through time yeah and one of the an issue when you you're, you haven't played with you know I guess most of our audience has played basketball in, at some point of their lives. But when you play with somebody that you're not usually used to, you know, there are little nuances to the game. Like when somebody cuts, you know, there's a specific time where you, where you, where you can pass in the ball and they'll do something with it. But if you, there's some people have a different clock, I should say, in their, with their feet or their hands. And you know, some people like to receive the ball differently. Those are those are little nuances that you pick up when you play a lot with somebody. And the fact that these guys have only played seven games together, that those those little nuances sometimes they help you win playoff games because the you you know, usually by the playoffs, people, you know, these teams have been together for almost what for such a long time that they know each other. They, they know each other better than almost anybody else knows them as players, I should say. And, you know, when you 
when you're in when you're in a really long series in the playoffs, when it goes to six or seven games, you see those are the type of things that win out because a coach can game plan as much as he wants, but when you go to a game seven, the other team has seen everything you can possibly throw at them. They have been seeing you for the past two to three weeks. So by basically when it comes down to that, those little things that get developed with chemistry, those are the things that went out. You said it. For me, there in those moments, it's talent and it's chemistry. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, last season in the final, the Eastern Conference Finals with the, um, with the Celtics, correct? Yeah. Um, that block with Bam and Tatum, that's talent. Like, talent is the only way that you can do that, right? But the only reason that that works the way it does is because, yes, Bam made a play. Don't get me wrong. But the reason that works is because they know each other so much. That defense is in such great sync that Tatum didn't really have another lane to attack because everybody else was where they were supposed to be. And don't get me wrong, again, don't, don't, Mis- don't misconstrue or confuse what I'm saying. Bam is super talented, and you have to be super talented to make that play. You could put a lot of guys in that scheme with that same chemistry, and they couldn't make that play. So, yes, you have to have the talent and the physical ability to make that play, the timing, the strength, the, the vision, the willingness, the 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 charisma, the, 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 the what's the word, the the, the courage to, you know, not be worried about being embarrassed because one off move and that could have been Tatum dunking on Bam's head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or foul him. But uh, Right, exactly. But the fact that Tatum was forced to drive or take that lane in the first place is based off the chemistry, the defensive chemistry that the Heat had developed up until that point. Um, and another example I want to throw at you, look at any lob ever thrown by a guy on the Heat's team, and you can even see it with Dwayne De- Deadman. Um, in the last game that they played, uh, which at this point of recording would be on Saturday against the Bulls, um, there was this one sequence where Dwayne Deadman was rolling to the rim. And I mean, he's been, by the way, and I wrote this today for all you can heat, um, Dwayne Devin has not only been one of the Heat's best players since they signed him, he's been one of the best players in the league. Extrapolating his numbers out to a decent amount of numbers and looking at his per, one of the best players in the league. But perhaps that's something we'll get to. But back to the example, there was a situation where they went to get him the ball on the roll and somebody threw it up and he was kind of just looking. And it ended up going out of bounds. Well, as I just mentioned, the guy's only been there six games. Like, they haven't developed that chemistry. Now, anybody else on the team, when it's Gorn in the pick and roll or when it's Kendrick Nunn in the pick and roll, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, anybody that has lob finishing ability, be that KZ a little bit sometimes, be that Precious, be that... You, th- um, you think Precious could have caught you know, that? Bam. Huh? <laughs> you think Precious could have handled the pass? I- <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there. I didn't say that he would have caught that one. I said that he can. The fact that, see, now you're taking me somewhere we didn't want to go. Even if he wouldn't have caught it, though, he would have known it was coming is the point. Yeah, I get, you know, I understand your point. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no, but no, no, no. You bring up a good point because we need to get precious. A jugs machine, a weight room, and then some sticky gloves. Should it? Um, he should yeah. trim. He trim with the dolphins this off season because, damn. Uh, okay. I mean, well, I've seen a picture. Again, this isn't a football podcast. But I've seen a picture um, floating around recently of two attack of law um, and his new guns. Uh, I mean, that man has really been in the weight room. I tell you what, you put Precious on the 20-yard line, just let him throw him guns from the red zone or whatever. Hey, if he catches those on the regular, he'll be a better catcher. Absolutely. Maybe maybe that's something that he should con- that he should consider. So you're saying we need to reach out to the Marlins or the Dolphins. Either way, we need to give this man some catching lessons. Probably the Dolphins. They'll, they'll probably they'll – probably... I don't know, man. <laughs> See, I understand because you're talking bare hands, right? Yeah. And then – when you're talking baseball, it's smaller and it's the ultimate hand-eye coordination. If you can catch a baseball, you can catch anything. If you can hit a if you can hit a baseball, then you're one of the most. Well, well you... now we're talking about a completely different skill set. If, we, if he could hit a baseball, he'd be a point guard, Jason. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like if if what I wanted to make a point about the baseball players, if you can hit a baseball, especially a a 99 miles per hour fastball, then you're one of, one of the most coordinated people on the planet, and that's. Yeah, mm-hmm. your hand-eye coordination is in the top five percentile of the world. If you can hit a 99 per... Like, you, you look at a guy like Big Poppy. Sorry, long-time Boston Red Sox fan. I know this what this is, so I got to, you know, bring him up. But you look at a guy like Big Poppy, you're like, man, he's a big dude. He, you know, he's a little sloppy. He's a little slow. But he's one of the most coordinated people, hand-eye coordination-wise, in the world. The man can hit anything, and that's coordination. Yeah, I think... You know that's that's something that I think people should take more into consideration. When I, I've seen, I don't know why I've seen some people call non-baseball players like call baseball players non-athletes, and I think that's asinine. But we're not going to get into the discussion here about baseball or football. Right. We, I mean, we 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 veered up. Just a quick little tidbit, man. You went there. I'm sorry, Jay. The thing about that for me is a lot of people probably don't do that because the athletes that you look at, that you look at as the top tier athletes, be that your football, your your fastest running back, your your most nimble or, you know, beastly wide receivers or your LeBrons or your Babs or whatever, whatever, is because they're naturally gifted athletes. Some of the things that they can do, you can't learn it. You can't teach it. You either born with it or you don't. Or you develop it through growth, whatever, natural progression, or you don't. The thing about baseball specifically, and you can also throw hockey or tennis into this, is even golf. It's a hand-eye coordination thing. And hand-eye coordination can be developed. You can work on that and actually make that better. There are some people who just naturally have a higher level, and you may not never be as good as they are, but you can actually improve your hand-eye coordination. You either got a 45-inch bird or you don't. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's something that that's just not – I mean, you can improve it, but it's there's some guys that just – they'll always have jump. Right. They, they get up out of the bed able to jump 50 inches standing still. Right. You don't teach that. Like, they're just guys who can – Step out of the bed, put on some sneakers, and go jump fifty inches in the air. Yeah, those those are those are the type of guys that that people usually recognize as athletes, as you said. Those are the type of guys that usually make the NBA because a lot of guys in the NBA aren't skilled; they're just crazy. The NBA athletes are the absolute peak athletes in the world. There are no athletes better than the athletes in the NBA which are typically those guys who can wake up out of the bed and just jump 50 inches in the air without stretching. But that kind of explains it. Even if they're not skilled, 
how many guys do you know that are that big, that quick, that agile, that explosive, while at the same time being able to be that graceful? You know what I mean? And that's what the NBA is. And that, I guess, and I love a good story. As I told you, I'm a talker, but you guys probably can all see that by now. I love it when a story comes together. I said that the NBA was basically combat ballerina earlier. And what I just said about those athletes being the most agile, the most explosive, and yet the most graceful kind of jives right with that. I think those are excellent points. However, we need to talk about the Miami Heat. Like I love listen. That's that was a little bonus for our listeners. A little absolutely a little bonus. You went there, so I finished. <laughs> a little little coordination talk. Let's talk about the Heat and the Rockets game. The Heat blew out the Houston Rockets 113 to 91. I think, you know, more we were coming off high spirits from the previous game, which Bam hit the game winner against the Nets. However, for this game, there was no Goran, no Tyler, no Jimmy, and no Bam. So it was basically the young, the, some of, well, Goran played, excuse me. Uh, that was a mistake. But Tyler didn't play neither Jimmy nor Bam. However, it was basically a run for the guys in the uh, extended run for the guys in the second unit, and you know some of the young guys like KZ, Precious, even you know Gabe Vincent didn't play that much, but even Max Struss played played some some minutes. He played thirteen minutes. What you like about this game? What you what you like about how the Heat played? Kendrick played outstanding. Played really well. He he if he can please come into form and. Just be that Kendrick for the playoffs. We'll, that will be a huge boost for our, our bench scoring whenever Deep Old Depot comes back, and for our secondary scoring whenever J- Jimmy or Bam sit down. For me, man, whenever Kendrick gets the what's the word the his mojo. I, well, not even that. Whenever he gets the unimpeded opportunity, think about the Houston. Going into the Houston game, Kendrick knew, hey, man, I'm going to get the shots tonight. It wasn't something in the back of his mind like, ah, maybe tonight isn't tonight. And then especially with all the volatility he's experienced throughout his heat career, whether that be the situation going into the bubble last year where he couldn't ever find his quote-unquote, use your word, JJ, no joke, again. <laughs> um, or even this year once Oladipo came aboard and how, yeah, on the top end of it, he was experiencing, you know, or dealing with the injury situation. But then on the back end, the things progressed. It just seemed like he had fallen out of the rotation um, until Oladipo got hurt and he jumped back in and started to do what K-9 does. My thing is this. Whenever K-9 gets the unimpeded opportunity, more often than not, he comes through. Now, is it 30 points on 6 of 12 from 3, 12 of 20 from the field, 7 rebounds, 8 assists come through like he did in Houston? Probably not because you got the rest of the guys there taking some of the shots as well. But for me, whenever he has that you know, that unobliged um, that unobliged confidence and pat on the back from Coach Bo. Like, look, you're going to get your minutes. You're going to get your shots. K-9 comes through. Um, he wasn't even the, the, the guy for me in that game. Although he was the most explosive scorer, um, he wasn't what most stood out for me in that game. For me, what most stood out in that game was the guy that ran our team. Do you know who I'm talking about? Spo? You mean? No, I'm I'm talking about Iggy. Oh, Iggy. Well, Iggy, he had a pretty good stat line. He played pretty well too. And that game, with with without any of our, so if you look at that game, of course Jimmy didn't play, 
Bam didn't play, and Hero didn't play, which leaves you with K-9, who's sort of point guardish, even though he's not, you know, he's, he's become a much better playmaker for others this year, I will admit that, but not a true point guard. He's a scoring guard. He's more AI than Chauncey Billups. Not making a comp to either of those guys, just from a player profile standpoint. Disclaimer. He's more AI in that he'd rather look to score than Chauncey Billups, who'd look to create for someone else first. That's all I meant by that. But I said that to say you then have, you know, Goran, who's sort of in that same mold. His first instinct is to find a bucket. He can create for other people, but his first instinct is create for himself. Um, you look at Iggy, who at times when he comes into the game, even with the second unit, acts as a main ball handler or lead guard. Um, against Houston, he finished with 16 points, seven assists, and six rebounds on his own in 28 minutes. Um, four of seven shooting from three and six of 11 from the field. I mean, let's just talk about that. Iggy is, you know, 72 years old <laughs> and still out here playing. I mean, he goes from putting up numbers straight to the early bird special at Denny's. Um, I mean, will still guard everybody, can still steal the ball from anybody without them knowing. Bless those hands. Bless those um, hands. Yeah, man, man. I mean, listen. You know how they say boxers' hands are registered as lethal weapons, whatever they are? <laughs> Iggy qualifies for that registry. I don't care what anybody says. Iggy qualifies for that lethal weapon registry because those hands are just so quick and strong. Like, there's like the quickness to be able to get them into some of the places in, in the timely fashion that he does is one thing. But then to have the strength to finish the play or to not break your fingers off every time you go to strip is another thing, because I'd be thinking about it. It's like, yo, some of the strips that Iggy makes, I would break my fingers off trying to make those plays. The many, most, like, most, regular, like, most regular people would have their fingers absolutely jammed. And I, I think he'll probably, he probably early in his career or early in his life, developing that style, he probably jammed his fingers quite a bit. But now, he, he he's incredible with that. And he, I've seen, I've been watching him doing it for years Back in when it was in Philly, then in Denver, then in Golden State, and now here, he those hands always golden. Still, some of the quickest hands in the league. Still, some of the most strongest hands in the league, and still the most effective hands in the league when it comes to strips and steals. Um, e Reed the other night dropped the gym, and he may have used it before. Eric Reed, the uh, Heat's color guy. If you're a Heat fan, you know. But just for the guys that don't know, the guys and ladies, sorry, the people that don't know, Eric Reed is the Heat's color guy um, locally there. But he actually dropped a nugget the other night, and I don't know if he's used it before, but he said, the man of steel. That's a good nickname. I said, oh, I said, oh my Lord. <laughs> the man of steel. The man of steel. Because, I mean, look, Iggy was killing, you hear me? Oh. Iggy will take it from you. He he will take it from you like when he'll take he'll take it from you like he like a kid taking another kid's lunch from from their hands like the guy those hands I always write in my notes whenever I see something like that I just write bless Iggy's hands because those hands are those are those hands if if I could ever talk to him and to please like just how he developed that type of those lightning quick hands that they, they are so incredible that that are still he's like what 
all joking aside, I think he's like 37 or 36. And he's still... 30, somewhere between 36 and 38, definitely. So it's, he's not a young guy, and it's still there. So those are one of the... Those are one of the parts of the of the of your body of your I should say of your play as an athlete that don't age because you you know you don't have to rely on you just need to rely on your coordination and your strong strong as heck hands which by the way if you look at his arms well you'll notice how strong oh, no, the guy is yeah he's still cut he's still a little he's he's more lean and wiry strong now than he used to be because he used to be brawling. Um, but he's still pretty cut. I say that to say this, though, man. I don't know if I completely agree there because, yeah, your legs are typically the first thing to go, man, but and a lot of it is recognition and seeing a lot of it, you know, before and firsthand and all of that. So there is that mental aspect, and like you said, being a veteran and being the guy that he is and has been. But still, man, look, to get his hand in there, it requires a certain amount of quickness. And most guys his age aren't still that quick. I can I can agree with that, but how I think you know the point about the legs being gone first. I think we all have noticed it when he tries to dunk. He's not the same. He's not the same Philly Iggy who could just dunk over everybody. That's he. I've seen we've seen him take less and less dunks. He he's not the he's not that guy anymore. Well, that does, but but that speaks to the point of the legs. Um, yeah, that's what I that's what that's what I'm I meant. Not saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying he's still that guy as much as he can still be that guy ten times a game. I just think across Philly and Golden State, he could be that guy twenty five times a game. Do you but, see what I'm saying? Yeah, the early years in Golden State, because then he he settled more into being, as you said, a playmaker. He settled more into that secondary playmaker or whatever. Right. right. Even on the back end, I still think he probably could have been that guy 20 times a game. That just wasn't his role. But you're saying the same thing. We're just attributing it to different motivations. You think he was a playmaker because he didn't have that. I think he didn't show you that because that wasn't his role. Six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the guy still got three rings out of of Golden State. So I guess he did something right there. At the end of the day, exactly. The man still has three rings, and he has appeared. He's probably, I think, he's second to LeBron in most finals appearances in the decade. So that's something to to keep an eye on because he, I believe, he broke the tie with either Steph, one of the Golden State guys, since he appeared last season with the Heat. So that's a guy. That's something. Is he a Hall of Famer? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, since the Basketball Hall of Fame is usually probably of the four major sports, probably the easiest one to get into. Baseball is notoriously hard to get into. Absolutely. I, I The guy has been on a lot of, wasn't those iconic Golden State teams he has, but he only has one All-Star appearance. Does he have All-NBA appearances? Um... So, here's the thing. Looking looking down at um, his basketball reference Hall of Fame predictor, which takes into everything, and I'm going to answer your question because it takes that into account. He has a, a 6% chance of making the Hall of Fame. But for what that's worth, 
right now, according to that probability reader as well, Rudy Gobert has a slightly higher at six, whereas Iggy is a 6.1. Rudy Gobert is 6.24. Um, DeMar DeRozan is currently at 6.7%. Yeah. And Nikola Jokic is DeMar is currently at 6. Point. DeMar is nowhere. That, I don't think DeMar is close to a Hall of Famer. No, no, right. That's and no slight to him. I'm not bringing that up, and I wasn't bringing that up <laughs> to say that he was a Hall of Fame player as much as to just give you a frame of reference for the tier that Iggy kind of found himself in now. Um, but to go to your point real quick, where you ask about his All-NBA, his awards, um, if you look down here again, I mean, so just, just an early answer based off the window he's in or whatever and everything we discussed, it doesn't look like he'll be a Hall of Famer based off that probability. I don't know, man, with everything he's did in the league and the impact he's had, you could probably make a case for him so he got the 2015 Finals Most Valuable Player. Um, he was he's made one All Star. He has three championships. He was All Rookie Team. He's made one First Team All Defensive, one Second Team All Defensive. Um, he's currently 20th on the active points list. He's 19th on the active rebounds list. Um, ninth on the active assist list. How does this, how do his steals, um, how do his, his steals look like? Ooh, his steals actively, he's currently third. That's steals per game, active 17th, 1.5. Um, let's go down and look at a couple of more important stats here. As far as, let's look at his defensive rating. Um, right now, 18. Hmm. Interesting. Right now, I would lean, unfortunately, I, I think I would lean no. I would lean, I, I would lean no. Yeah. Now, I, again, man, one of those cases where he might not get in on a regular ballot, but you know how they put people in um, honorable, whatever, whatever, or, you know, right. I, whatever the equivalency is of writing, but you know how they let people in sometimes yeah. um, that didn't make it on a regular ballot. I think he would, I don't know, man, I, because I just think that although he doesn't have the counting stats or the recognition stats, the awards, I just think that his impact and what he's done in the league, Cause I mean, think about it, man. In Philly, for a while, Iggy was that guy, so he's been a star. Yeah. And even if you look now, later in his career with Golden State, their one, he was absolutely essential and important in what they did. Without Iggy, they don't win those titles. I'm, I'll go on that limb and say it. And without he, Iggy, he they had, don't win the title. He had a couple of good seasons with the with the Nuggets. I think people often forget that he was with the Nuggets. It was, right. No, I, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying you, but um, most people think they forget. I sometimes forget. I'll go like, yeah. dang, Iggy did play with, with the Nuggets. And they had a really good team yeah. in the regular season. And that's when I think Steph Curry came into the public consciousness and they knocked them out of the first round as the underdogs. Right. Um, For the Nuggets, he played and started in 80 games in 2012-2013, which was the season after he was an all-star. Philly didn't want to pay him. Um, in that season, he averaged 13 points, 
5.4 assists, 5.3 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and 0.7 blocks. I mean, he was 31% from three, though, which was probably one of his worst three-point shoots ever. Well, actually, you know what? He's had several lower, but that was one of his worst three-point shooting seasons. So, I mean, he's never he's never been known as know, a, he's never been known as a marksman. No, he hasn't. But I'll I'll tell you this. So, let's see. In two thousand seven, two thousand eight, he got up to his highest three point seven attempts for Philly, and was sinking thirty two point nine percent. That's not great. Um, so, in his Second to last year with Philly, which is 2010-2011, he was shooting 2.7 attempts and was sinking 33.7%. In the following year, 3.1%, which was absolutely his peak from three. Um, Although, again, he never shot putridly again until probably 2017-2018 and then last year for us. But for the most part, he hovered around 35 between that year, he went nuclear at 39. And now. Yeah. I guess. Well. It's, that's a tough question, man. Again, um, just off raw statistics, you're probably right. But off one of those honorable things, impact kind of situations, he, he might have a chance. But that was just a random thought since we were talking Iggy. But I would say he was probably my main takeaway from the Houston game there, his performance. And, of course, like you said, K-9. With his 30 points, that show went a long way towards getting a blowout win. Duncan played pretty well, too. I mean, his his, well, shoot, his shooting was good, I should say. His three-point right, shooting. but here's my thing, man. We've kind of been unfairly criticizing Duncan because, because he hasn't been... Historically 100%. great. I mean, he hasn't... Great. Like, Duncan has been good. Duncan has been pretty good all season. Yeah, but I mean, I guess people, since he was, and I, and this is not hyperbole, he was historically great last season. You, you check it out. He, I think he had the best catch and shoot three point shooting season in NBA history. Um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he shot nearly forty. He shot nearly forty five percent from three last year on almost eight attempts. I follow him. So, for him, for him, so he made. He, he, go ahead. He's still shooting like what eight a game, and he's sinking about forty percent. That's outstanding. That's my point, though, bro. He yes, he was shooting at a phenomenal clip last year at forty five percent. But I mean, when you're talking in the grand scheme of things, how the numbers look on the court, he's shooting almost I think a half shot per more per game, but he's still shooting forty percent. So the way that's going to look on the box score is if he's shooting eight threes, he's still going to hit four of them. I mean, they're going to be one or two in certain situations that he don't hit, and that's how you get from your 40s to your 45. But for the for the most part, he's still making half of the shots that he takes. It's just that, for me, people have held that as a standard, but we're also using the poor shooting of the rest of the team to reflect that on Duncan. No, Duncan's still shooting well. The rest of the team sucks right now, so it's reflecting poorly on him. So, I mean, while I agree with you, yeah, he was a huge reason why we were able to get that win um, in Houston as well, going 5 of 11 from 3. But, look, man, Duncan's been shooting the ball good all year long. Like you said, he's numbered somewhere around 39 or 40%. Yeah, I think people, you know, he created irrational expectations with his incredible shooting last season. So, and, you know, fans 
expected him to replicate that. And as they should know, that is incredibly hard to do. Let's get, let's wrap, let's wrap up this game. Heat Rockets, hot stuff from for the Heat. They held Houston to 38.8% shooting. The, the Heat, the Miami Heat shot 48% from the field. 19 three-pointers made for the Heat, 31 assists, and they held Houston to only 9 three-pointers made. Cold stuff, 7 free-throw attempts for Miami, but I guess when you make all those threes, it doesn't really matter. And 13 turnovers for both teams, but I think it should be of note that the Heat turned, uh, we don't like when the Heat turned the ball over, especially when in the start of the season, that was such a huge problem. They were literally the worst team in the league in terms of turning the ball over. Anything else you want to add to the hot stuff or the cold stuff, Kenneth, before we move on to the Spurs game? Um, yeah, man, on the seven free throw attempts, man, listen, when you're making shots like the Heat were making them against Houston, you're not going to the free throw line because everything else is going through the bucket. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and then, of course, Houston, yeah, Houston wasn't really playing defense either. So if they're not being physical with you, they're not going to foul you, but they weren't bodying us up with playing defense. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and you know, the the Rockets are not good. They're one of the no, worst. Plain and simple. Yeah, they're simple. they're one of the worst teams in the league. And this was a pretty good move for the Heat to rest Bam and and I forget and Jimmy and Jimmy and, Jimmy. and Tyler <laughs> and Tyler. You know, it was a good move to rest him since you know. Absolutely, that was. I mean, it was. Here's the thing: after that road trip with Jimmy's ankle, you got him some rest on Sunday. Um, and then you take that opportunity to get him another game arrest. You still another game because you think that we can beat Houston even without our stars. And you also take that opportunity to steal a game for Tyler and Bam. You can't be mad at that at all. It's actually great coaching um, by Spo. You leave the guy in on Sunday who still gives us a chance to win, and Bam, um, which is exactly what happened. And then you get the rest of the guys a break, you know, Um the other time so no i completely agree not mad at all now let's move on to our mini road trip that we had this past week we first visited the san antonio spurs a game which we won due to a outstanding defensive second half effort by the miami heat they held the san antonio spurs to 34 points total in the second half that's outstanding defense by the Miami Heat, would they end up winning one hundred seven to eighty seven? That was some standard Heat defense. What you like about that game, Kenneth? For me, man, um, it was more just a making them submit to your will type thing in the Spurs game. At a certain point, the Spurs just looked like they had given up, man. And I would say late in the third, heading early into the fourth. The Spurs just looked like they had mailed it in. And for me, that was, you know, about the Miami Heat play. Yeah, they were shooting the ball well, but they weren't making many mistakes. They were making the Spurs work for everything they got. Um, if you look at the turnover margin, only seven. Yeah, only seven. I mean, only seven turnovers right. for the Heat compared to right, like 10 by the Spurs. Right, and although that wasn't a lot for the Spurs, it's like when you're shooting the way you're shooting and you're not making any mistakes, we have to be perfect to beat you. That will mentally deflate another team. So I just said that to say you, you could see that they were experiencing deflation. It's like, ah, we can't beat this team tonight. Not like that. 
No. Um, and you saw that. So that that was my biggest takeaway. I really like the possessions. You know, DeRozan scored on some of them, but DeRozan's a, a, a really good scorer. But I really like the, the move yeah. to, to put KZ on DeRozan. Put those I was going to see, I was going to let you get your part out, and I was going to tie a ball around it with that. But you're stepping on me, JJ. You're stepping <laughs> on my toes. No, go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, I, I want to say put those long arms to use. Make, you know, KZ struggle from the field that night. But I, I really, you know, it was encouraging to see him still shoot. Like, just shoot it, young man. That it eventually went in. But his work on the defensive end, I think that should be proud of. DeRozan, I, as I said, he's going to score. He's been around the league a long time. He, he's, he's always known as a perimeter scorer. And there, I think there was a position where he actually had to fake KZ twice to get the shot off, and he made it. You just, you just dap on and say, good play. And go but go run down the floor and get back on offense. I know your point, I think Kenneth. you're watching my Twitter feed, JJ. I think you're watching my Twitter feed right now. I know that's what you're doing. Nope, I'm uh, not watching no, your Twitter actually, feed, but I remember that I I remember the game and the game that that happened. And just when I got to Twitter, you I saw you you tweeted out something similar. So to tie it up, yes, I use a little bit of your point. No, no, no. So, and, that's, and that's so you picking up what I'm putting down. That's a, that, that's a great that's a great alley oop you threw me there. No, man, I I literally noted that play, um, and that's the play that's the kind of the epitome of the night. First of all, if you look at DeMar, DeMar only finished with 15 points. He yeah. only finished with 15 points. And he led, the, he led this person scoring. scoring with 15 only. Yes. He, he was their leader that night, and he had 15 points. Now, let's just take, take this. let's just take this into consideration. We're talking about a guy who's a career 20.1 point a night guy who's averaging 21.2 points per game this season. And he's been awesome this season. He has- um, he's been awesome. He's been awesome. I mean, field goal percentage, 49.2, which is among the highest in his career. Um, last year, of course, with the Spurs, he finished at 53%. But he isn't taking that many threes. But it's just, like I said, we're talking about a guy who can put the ball in the hole. And KZ essentially held him to 15 points. That player talking about is a play where DeMar had to go deep in his bag. I mean, every move he had, he pulled it out. He hit you with the jab step. He faked baseline. He faked back in towards the paint. He did the hard crossover. Okay, KZ didn't bite enough. He still stood in front of him. So he crossed back over. He pumped fake. KZ didn't go for it. And he eventually took the tough jumper and hit it. But as you said, he spent 15 seconds pulling moves that KZ didn't go for. So... That, like you said, that's that point where you just smack the guy on the butt, say good shot, and play more defense because you did all you could right there. That was a great defensive sequence from KZ, but you're talking about one of the great scores ever, and he just made a play. Yeah, so you just got to live with those. As they, as, yeah, uh, absolutely. As sometimes like, you know, coaches like Ben Gundy or Jackson say on their, on their ESPN broadcast, you just got to live with it sometimes. You, you absolutely. Know. Great offense beats great defense, but it was still great defense. Exactly, like you gotta give props to KC. Uh, hot stuff from the game: forty-seven percent shooting for Miami. Again, that incredible second-half effort on defense. Only seven turnovers for the Heat. They scored fourteen points off turnovers, and you know the Spurs had ten turnovers, but you know how many scored, how many points they had off turnovers? Four. That speaks to how, to how well the, 
the the Heat defense played whenever. Yep, how they were able to get back off the turnovers and, you know, make up for those mistakes. Exactly. And the only cold stuff I could find was Duncan struggled that night. As we mentioned in the previous game, he had a pretty good he had a pretty good shooting night, but not this not this time. He had, he went two for seven from deep, and you know it was back to back games in which he struggled because he struggled against the Hawks too. But that game, that's I think you want to say something else about the Spurs game before we move on to the Hawks game because I think that's where the real meat is this week. The Hawks game. I know it sounds silly. Well. The, the Hawks and the Bulls game because that Bulls game was something to watch, man. That Bulls game almost, that almost, that almost killed me. That Bulls game, I should say. Anything else about the Spurs game you want to add, Kenneth? Uh, nah, man. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, though. If you want to keep your eye on somebody from the Spurs, um, not sure if this is what we're doing here. Um, as far as like you know, looking ahead this early right now, but I did notice something as far as a player goes. Now, if you look at their roster right now, they play, um, let me see, they play Pirtle as the starter, right? But you bring Eubanks in for 13 minutes or so off of the pine. I think you're San Antonio, does what, um, the Miami Heat were able to do make you rethink your approach there. And I say that to say you had Bam with 23, you had Jimmy with 18, and you had Tyler with 22. And a lot of their stuff is... Oh, I almost forgot that. middle extended. I almost forgot that, that Tyler Hero fourth quarter. Where he just had his swagger oh, yeah. back. Oh, yeah. Tyler went nuts. But see, that's what I'm saying. Does that make you reassess your approach from a... I guess what I'm trying to say is, did the Heat find something or were the Spurs just that bad? You see what I'm saying? Because whatever they did in that fourth quarter from a seeking offense perspective, the Spurs just didn't have an answer. And that, that, that really stuck with me. So I'm, I guess I'm asking, were the Spurs just that bad or were the Heat that good to close that game? I think it was mo- mostly a com- – this isn't going to sound like a cop-out, but hear me out. I think it was a combination of, of both. Since, you know, the Heat were in the fourth quarter specifically, Tyler Hero broke the Spurs' spirit. I mean, he was make, he was coming down the floor and he was pulling off from the top, from the top of the, the three-point line. Oh, he was boy wonder again against the Spurs. Exactly. He looked like the old Tyler here, the one we saw in the playoffs, the one that the the world saw last season, and they thought, hey, maybe the Heat got a star there. And, you know, that's not been the case this season. He has been, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call him quite bad, but I he struggled a bit shooting the ball. But I guess when you play offense that way, when you, when you, when you see a guy that just pulls up and just drains it, and when the ball just goes directly through the net and makes that sound where he goes... That's just something that maybe breaks your team. And the fact that nobody else aside from the Rosen could get a bucket, maybe that should be a combination of both that the Spurs simply, they rely too much on the Rosen. And I'll admit, I haven't watched a lot of Spurs games. This was, I think, the second Spurs game I watched because I watched the Pelican Spurs game earlier this season. But aside from the Rosen, I don't see a guy that can 
probably create a shot like he does. DeJounte Murray is mostly he's, he most his value most of the rise on the defensive end and he can pass the ball. But Man, I, that's what I was about to go to. Murray isn't adept at creating for himself as he should be yet. So I guess the Heat defense I'll incline more to say that the Heat defense was awesome last that night because I think what I mostly gravitate towards to is the fact that the that the Heat had seven turnovers but the Spurs only had four points off turnovers. That's right. I was just trying to figure how the Heat got any, and that's why I mentioned Pertle. Well, that's what that's why I mentioned Pertle in the beginning. Um, it's just amazing to me, and I was just looking at it from the middle out. It's amazing to me at the looks that they were able to get off when they were able to get them off of San Antonio because there are times when the Miami Heat struggle to get a good shot off, man. So for them to be able to do what they did against San Antonio, you have to wonder. Um, I mean, and Pirtle's pretty good. There's a reason he plays for Pop. Pop wanted him. Um, Pirtle's I mean, I, I is good. Don't know, man. The two games that I watched yeah, this, he he can protect the rim. But you know, Bam, Bam, Bam put some work in that night. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess just speaking more to Heat's total offense, it's like they were able to get anything they want. Why? Were they that good, or were the Spurs that bad? That I guess that was the point I was trying to get to the tie bowl around to it because, you know. Um, at times, man, I'm, it, not to get too far ahead, but just a quick tidbit, against Chicago, how do you score 33 points almost in the first quarter and then winding down the fourth quarter, you only have 91? It's like, make it make sense. So that's why I just had to know, you know, were the Heat that good that night or were the Spurs that bad? Because you look at and but that speaks to it. I always say the Heat will heat. Will they play down or up to competition? It's like, you know, you just have nights where you can't miss, and then you have nights where you can't keep the back of the Yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's move on to the Heat-Hawks game. That was the game this week that it was just Are you a, really going to do this to me, JJ? You that, me talk about this game? I don't want to. I hate talking about it, but we have to because it's. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. This was a game that we had to have. I know you don't like to talk about seeding, but. At least on my end, I really look. I was really looking at that stuff for the seating purposes. This was a layup, though, man. It was. It was supposed to be a layup. No cap- on top of the seating conversation. No, no Capella and no Young. No Capella, no Young for the Hawks. Man. How do we lose that game? <laughs> Brandon Goodwin. That's. Is, is that really what you're gonna tell me right now, today? <laughs> is you, are you gonna tell me Brandon Goodwin? No. Is that what you're gonna tell me right now? <laughs> I mean. Who the hell? Who, am I supposed to be okay with that? Who the hell is Brandon Goodwin? I don't. I, exactly. Besides the guy that scored seventeen points on one of five from three, meaning he did his work in the paint inside of the three point line. How in the hell do you let him score seventeen points? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing it again. Let me get my my, my wits about me. Well, I think this game was just. Bad. I mean, the fourth. I mean, they had some hope. They Jimmy gave us some hope in the fourth quarter. He became again a superhero, as he had to do in the Bulls game, which I really dislike because it puts unnecessary pressure on him. I know he's the superstar. He's our unequivocally, our unequivocally our best player. However, these these are games that you should win, and that should not require Jimmy exerting so much effort on the court for us to even have a chance. And that goes back to the. Um. 
put a quick sorry, just a quick tidbit. I disagree on the exerting too much force because I don't feel like he had done a whole lot as far as from a offensive perspective in those games. I felt like he did what superstars are supposed to do. We needed him to close the game. He closed the game. I'm blaming the rest of the team as you do, though, there, because you shouldn't have not that Jimmy shouldn't have to exert that. I mean, because that's what his job is and that's who he is. My thing is you should be better as a team so that he doesn't have to. So, again, it's one of those things that we're getting to the same place. We're just getting at the different people. Yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's fair. What else do you want to talk about this about this godforsaken game? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, man, again, it, it all boils down to the heat heating. Um, and what that means is they play up or they play down to the competition and they do it all the time. Now, I'll say this. If it means anything, this same Hawks team, now, although they did have Clint Capella, this same Hawks team um, actually beat Milwaukee yesterday on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so if you want to take any, you know, without Trey Young, if you want to take anything from that loss last week, we could have been better and we should have beat them. I, I'm, I'll always say that about that game this year. I mean, for at least the next month while it's fresh in my mind. We should have beat them the other night. However, this same team turned around and beat the Hawks Sunday um, with Clint Capella, of course, but still without Trey Young. So you do take a little solace there. I guess that's you can. I guess that's a silver lining. You could, if there's such a thing after a loss, it was a bad loss. Right, like you, you hate that you lost, but at the same time, you look at that and say, "Well, I guess we didn't lose to as bad a team as we thought we lost to." Even though a loss is still a loss, it's still a loss, it's still a loss. I'll 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 say this though, Nate Mc, uh, since Nate McMillan took over, the Hawks have been winning a lot. I don't know if, if different team. I don't know. Different team, and you pointed to it at the top. It's the defense, man. They could always score a thousand points on you, but now they can keep you from scoring a thousand on them. Also, Bogdanovich suddenly becoming the second best three point shooter behind Stephen Curry this month. Statistically, Bogdanovich has been on a tear. But that's always been the thing with him. It's just for him. Listen, man, people are going to say blasphemy, but I'm, I'm going to tell you to look at it for what it's worth. He's, he's not as good. He's not as impactful. His peak won't be as mega or colossal, and that's apparent, and you'll understand it when I say what I'm about to say. He will... Luca before Luca. He's not as good as Luca, but I'm saying that two guard, small force body with the guard, with the point guard skill set, he's always been that. Whether it be in Sacramento or whether it be here in Atlanta, he's never had the ball in his hands. He's always had a point guard who needed the ball in his hands, whether that be DM Fox or in this situation, Trey Young. So, whereas for him, Bogdanovich is his best when he can actually have free reign over the rock because a lot of his shots are created off of give it, reposition, and ready to shoot. Yeah, that's a so good... So I feel as though him having to fit into a shooting guard small four role has actually hurt him because he would be twice as effective if he were on a team where he could have at least a 50-50 share of initiation in the rock for himself. And that's the difference. Trey Young isn't playing right now. So Bogdanovich is forced to be that guy. Because to be honest with you, yeah, he started to come on a little bit. 
before Trey Young got hurt, but since Trey Young has gotten hurt, he's really solidified that as okay. That's why they paid him what they paid. Yeah, and he had eight assists in this game, so his playmaking abilities. See, you see, you're picking up what I'm putting down now, JJ. But he didn't just get like that. Whenever he's had the opportunity to, let's use this word, man the rock, that's what he's done across his career. So again, back to the whole, you know, Kendrick Nunn is more AI than Chauncey. Disclaimer, this isn't a comparison. They aren't the same players. I'm not saying Luka and Bogdanovich are the same players or that their peak's going to be the same. It's just that when you think about the playing style in that they have the bodies and the skill sets of shooting guards and small forwards, they also have the skill sets of point guards, and they're better when you give them the ball. That's a good – I always come back to that botch trade between the Bucks and the Kings in, in the summer. The summer, no, I mean in the, in the fall, the off season. How he would have looked with Milwaukee, but we'll never get to see that. However, oh, that God. that would have been I'm something. I'm so glad that they botched it. Don't get me wrong, Drew Holiday is a heck of a player. He's probably a better singular player than Bogdanovich, but for that team, for that team, Bogdanovich would be playing the one. Um, He would pretty much be playing the one, and you would have him, Middleton, DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez, and Giannis. Like, again, Drew Holiday's a beastly player, and what he does on both sides is what separates him from Bogdanovich. But from an offensive standpoint, oh, my God. With Middleton, DiVincenzo, and Bogdanovich on the outside, and Brooke Lopez on the outside, Giannis would have nothing but empty paint. Empty paint. And if you crowd him or build the wall, you have a guy in Bogdanovich handling the ball who can give it. When the wall collapses and Giannis kicks it right back out to him, it's going through the net. So you can just take that wall and go to the other end. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I'm glad that they didn't get it. I'm glad that he's in Atlanta because the Bucks would have been – I mean, still, still, you know, hashtag heat in five. <laughs> but the Bucks, the Bucks would have been outstanding. 100%. Out, outstanding. Anyway – as well to the Heat and the Bulls game. This was a win, but is there such a thing as a as a bad win? Because this win was something I mean, you had to actually I mean, I, I don't think I can explain it in words how terrified I was of I mean, if the Heat ended up blowing this game, first off, the jokes were gonna fly. And I think that they were gonna be scathing. Now I know that that shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I don't know about you, but I don't I don't at least, as part of my family, you know, Heat to you know, Heat fans are, are very proud. You know, we have a rich history of championships and winning. We pride ourselves in in winning. The but the fact that we could have lost this game doesn't sit right with me, especially with Denzel Valentine. You know, the the guy almost beat us, and he ended up saving our our asses because he just shot that. Did you see the video where the Bulls commentator he just. As soon as it left his hand, he went, oh, no. I haven't seen that video, but now I'm definitely going to look for it. I mean, it was literally, he, he had, it ju he just left it, it just, the ball just let it, left his hand, and the guys were already shaking their heads, the, the commentating team for the Bulls. I was delighted when I was watching the game. You know, I was watching the Karate Reed broadcast, and they were, they were perplexed. They, they just couldn't believe it. But hey, we'll take it. 
what you what did you okay is this an easy game to pick what to dislike especially in the second half what did you like you know the first half obviously the first quarter was excellent well what else did you like about this about the how the heat played in the first half let's say They came out and jumped right on it, man. They knew they were the better team. They acted like they were the better team. They imposed their will. And they dominated. They knew this was a team without their star, um, without their best guy. Um, and they dominated. I mean, and, and you know what? What really impressed me, I'll be honest with you, was although, now, now this man always gets his stuff off against the Heat. And although Root still finished with 26 um, and 14, it didn't feel they like it. Didn't allow him. Huh? I, I mean, it didn't feel like. Sorry to interrupt, but it didn't, right, exactly. it, it, it didn't feel it didn't like. Allow him to keep them in the game. Exactly. I, I, at least I didn't feel like he wasn't killing us like he usually did in Orlando. He, the guy was just. Well, that's you see. Now you're speaking to the point I was going to make. When he was in Orlando, it felt. Now one thing, Orlando and Heat games are always close. Now for me, a huge part of that was because. Whenever you need a bucket as Orlando, you could go to Vooch and he would get you a bucket. He always, you always felt as though Vooch kept them in the game, whether that be from a huge offensive rebound, a big three-point shot, uh, he getting fouled, making the free throws to keep him within four, five, or six. It just feels like Vucevic always keeps you in the game. And if you looked at this game in the first half, yeah, he might have gotten his stuff off but they didn't allow him to have the impact that he typically had with Orlando. Exactly. You hit on. Yeah, I mean, the only guy that I truly felt like he played really, really, aside from the aforementioned Denzel Valentine, who in the fourth quarter, he, the spirit of Ray Allen overtook him. But Kobe White played pretty well against us. He was driving to the rim, and, you know, that, who, who was I think it was Bam who fouled him on the three point attempt. I think that was a part, that was a that was a point in the game where I got really scared because I I thought oh my god we, we, these are the type of plays that happen when you're about to blow a game, but it didn't happen. Absolutely, but I, I'm gonna tell you that that call that call just to be fun it pissed me off, and I say that because he got him up top. They didn't call that though. That's not what the call was. They call the the the, the foot when he was kicking it out. Yeah. I, right. I 100% believe the call was made at the bottom. And if you look at the bottom, Kobe White extends his leg so that Bam has no choice. But it, to be frank, it's an offensive foul because the offensive player didn't give Bam a chance to land. Hmm. And if they call that foul for what occurred at the bottom, which is what I believe that foul was, that was a terrible call. I think because it, you can't tell me in one game that the player can't kick his legs out because Duncan has done that, and when Duncan kicks his legs out, they call they offensive call fouls. Foul on Duncan. Right, but go ahead. No, that's what, that was going to say. Whenever Duncan does it, because I've seen it, they they call the offensive foul on him. Absolutely, uh, and I I can remember two times specifically this season where that very thing has happened, and one of them he couldn't help it because he was fading. Or because he was running off of a curl, that was just the momentum. So his legs did that. He didn't do that on purpose. As you clearly saw Kobe White kick up as Bam started to approach him, you clearly could see that. Um, you know, I just think that was a trash call. But 
um, I, I hate that it ended so close. I hate that the Heat, you know, like said, let's look at the game log here. Just looking back, um, Jimmy was a so the Heat scored thirty three. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say Jimmy was a, a oh an absolute warrior in that for, in that fourth quarter. Oh no, absolutely without Jimmy. But that's a lot of times, man, and that's kind of what I was speaking to us when you said, um, you know, you hate that they pick him. That's his job, man. It's his job to close games for us. But in a situation like the Bulls, he shouldn't have to. That's the point that I was making. And that's why I said we agree there. In that situation, he shouldn't have to. They scored 33 points in the first quarter to the Bulls 18. They scored 28 points in the second quarter to the Bulls 23. So at that point, just a little quick math, that's 41 points for the Bulls. And the Miami Heat at that point, let me see, 53 plus 8. They have 61. So you're saying 61 to 41 at halftime. And then you come out, you only lose the third period by three points. So even at that point, you're still up by 17 points. And And somehow heading into the fourth quarter, you allow 40 piece. You allow 40 piece. After you play well all game and haven't allowed anything above 23 points, you go into the fourth quarter and allow 38? Yeah. That's, that's unacceptable. Absolutely. I, uh, Probably in the film session, I think Spo probably chewed them out. I hope he did. Absolutely. Absolutely. They didn't even watch the first three quarters, JJ. They watched the fourth quarter four times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would have been a really fun – well, if I'm a Heat player, it wouldn't have been fun, but just to be there in the room, I think that would have been a pretty fun film session. Just to see from afar. Because the there will be some pretty words said in that room. Yeah, for lack of better terms, some real pretty words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hot stuff from the game. 45% from the field for Miami. 14 made threes for the Heat. 24 free throw attempts. Great first set. Well, great first quarter however the cold stuff terrible absolutely terrible fourth quarter my god that fourth quarter you should i wanted to gouge my eyes out 14 points off 17 bulls turnovers that's not enough and allow chicago to shoot 48 percent from the field what else would you like to add to the hot stuff or the cold stuff kenneth before we move on to our preview of, of the week in the second half man well, no, sorry. In the fourth quarter, not the second half, just the fourth quarter, they allowed the Bulls to go six for six for the three. Hmm. Come on, man. Wait, Come six on, man. six or six? Points. I remember, I think I remember Denzel Valentine, the, the, his he from almost half court. No, I'm sorry. Not six, not six for six. They went six of something, but they oh. made yeah, six, six of their seven. I mean, six three-pointers in a quarter is still a lot. Right, that's what I'm sorry. I didn't mean six for six, but they gave him six three pointers in the fourth. Either way, it's 18 points, is what I was eventually trying to get to. You you give up 18 points of that explains the 38 number, but that that's that's what sticks out to me. If you give up six threes any period, there's a good chance that you're going to lose that game. And the and the Heat very nearly lost that game. However, they you won- see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Basically, listen, you were up 20 points and you gave up six threes in the last quarter and almost lost. Again, if you give up six threes in any period in an NBA game, there's a good chance that you're going to lose. I mean, if that first quarter really was basically, 
I mean, from the first quarter, that's basically what won us the game because for the rest of the of oh, the yeah. if we don't have listen, man, if we don't do that work early, we're now talking about how we had two awful losses last week. Exactly. So because that's a that's a classic heat situation. We play them even or just a little bit better than them throughout the game, and then at some random point, we allow them to go nuclear, and that's what separated it. Um, it's just this time we had already did the work early. So when they went nuclear, they were just playing catch up, not creating separation for themselves. Moving on to the weekly preview, we got the Bulls again on Monday. So tonight, the Spurs again on Wednesday, but this time in Miami. Cavaliers on Saturday and Hornets on Sunday. So, Kenneth, how are you feeling about this schedule? I think it's a pretty easy schedule. However, as you know, the Heat have been, as Jimmy Butler said, consistently inconsistent. So, gives me a little bit of pause seeing a schedule so as such an easy schedule this week. So, I don't want to, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. What do you think, Kenneth? Um. Here's the thing, man. So the Bulls, I think we should blow the Bulls out because we have that we have Saturday fresh in our minds. I think we're going to blow the Bulls out today. Um, we're going to handle our business, and I think we're going to play the starters until about midway through the fourth just to make sure that what happened the other night doesn't happen again tonight. Um, I think that the Spurs are going to give us a better effort yeah. On um, Wednesday, but especially being at home, I think it'll be a similar result because we can deploy a similar game plan. Um, make everybody else beat you and hold Jamar under 20 points, and you should win that game. Cavaliers is the same thing. Um, Garland has been balling. Um, I don't know if Sexton – I don't think Sexton played in their last contest, but Garland has been balling recently. However, um, even with Kevin Love back in the lineup, the Cavaliers don't scare me. The team, the game that really, really sticks out to me is the game on next Sunday against Charlotte. Um, Charlotte has been playing absolutely wonderful basketball here recently. Um, I mean, they're starting to find some things with, um, you know, Graham coming back into the lineup at the ball. Of course, Terry Rogier has been balling this season. You have Miles Bridges coming on strong right now. Um, I don't know what Gordon Hayward's situation is. Let's just do a quick check on exactly what his situation is with the injury, but you are starting to hear reports that um, you are starting to hear reports that LaMelo Ball is actually on his way back. Yeah, um, that's what I last read, so, that, that his his return might be not this week, but maybe next week, I think, or, or in, in, the, in, the, in the next two weeks, he'll, he'll, he might come back. That's something to keep an eye on for the playoffs, but I don't know if he'll get back this year. Um, listen, man, it's just about – you know they're going to be a tough out, but who are you playing? Because it scares you anyway. But if they can get any of these guys back – okay, the last report, um, it says Gordon Hayward. Now, this was three weeks ago. It says he'll be out about four weeks. This is from Shams on April 3rd, that he will be out about four weeks. So – the science says, and you know, sometimes they do come back a little earlier. So the science says he might have a chance to be back by Sunday, even if he does, or you think he'd be on a minute restriction. Same thing for LaMelo Ball. Same thing for Malik Monk. But, you know, all these guys are, well, all of these teams now are super cautious with injury. But just with the way they're playing, man, their potential to get those guys back. Um, and then that being whole six days away from now, that scares me. Yeah. 
Because then again, you're also fighting with them for one of those last seeds. So it, it's a lot that goes into that. I think that, yeah, the Hornets game is in Charlotte. So I guess I'll listen to the Hornets broadcast. <laughs> those guys, it's like I'm watching a WWE match. They always make it fun. It's the only, the only guys that I would rather watch other than Reed and Karate. Whenever we play the Hornets in Charlotte, I just watch the Hornets broadcast because those guys, <laughs> those guys are funny. I mean, they're, they're, they're understandable, understandable. But yeah, Reed, Reed, outside of that, Reed, Reed and Karate forever. So how are you feeling about the Charlotte game? I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. Maybe, as you said, Gordon Hayward might be back by Sunday, but the I I'm mostly relying on the minister section and the fact that he might not be, you know, he might not be, he might not look as good as Gordon Hayward as the Gordon Hayward that we have seen this season. Right, he might still be rusty. He might not be as crisp or sharp. I got you. What's Malik Monk's status for this for that game? That's the one I really really want to hear about because absolutely because you know Malik Monk is a the killer. He gonna shoot. He gonna shoot eighty threes and hit twenty of them. That's the ran- uh, That's see. the random heat killer. I think this season he has. Absolutely. This season he has been the ultimate heat killer. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So looking at his last thing, um, this is from Thursday. That Monk will miss at least two weeks with. Okay, so it says. Back on April 1st, it was reported that Monk would miss at least two weeks with the sprained ankle. Thursday, March, three weeks since he went down, which was this past Thursday. And there has been no update to Monk's timeline for return. Hopefully, he'll be cleared and play in the very near future, but consider him out indefinitely at this point. And this comes from, um, I guess, the NBA's own injury report. Um, but... At the same time, man, with that two-week window being a week ago and with Thursday marking three weeks, meaning this Thursday will be a month, you almost have to assume that there's a good chance um, that he'll actually be back for our game Sunday. I I can see that happening. That's kind of our luck with it all. You know what I mean? Oh, man. So we might get Gordon Hayward and Malik Monk back for the Hornets on Sunday against the Heat. And I don't want to put that energy out in the air, but that looks to be the yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, well, well, good for them. Also, of of yeah. course, we, we don't wish injury upon yeah, anybody, but <laughs> it had to be against uh, us. You know, no, 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 no. I'm that guy. Like you said, man, we're not wishing injury on anybody, but when we, I, I always use the next. I hope they're all healthy because when we beat them healthy, there's nothing you can say. But if we had the opportunity to face the Nets in the first round without James Harden, would I sign up for it? Yes, a hundred times. Oh, Every time. absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm not wishing injury on him, but, you know, I can get a little break from my team. What kind of fan am I to say that I don't want that? Yeah, I think I think that's good. Anyway, we're hitting the 121 mark here. Let's check out the heat rankings for the week. Ranked 23rd in offensive rating, 7th in defensive rating, 19th in turnovers per game, and 15th in three-pointers made. Kenneth, pleasure to, pleasure to all to always have you join me every week. We'll see you next week. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. You can also follow me at JJ Rivera NBA. And Kenneth, Kenneth, what's your at on Twitter? 
Yeah, man. On Twitter, you can find me at K said K. That's the letter K underscore S A I D underscore Q U E. Again, that's at K underscore said K. Um, on Instagram, you can find me at I M K Sears. That's I A M K C I R R U S. Again, that's I M K Sears on Instagram. And as always, JJ, it's been a pleasure. Can't wait till next week when we do it again. All right. Well, thank you, Kenneth, for joining me. You can all, also you can listen to us on Dash Radio via the Nothing But Net station. So enjoy the NBA this week, and we'll see you pro- approximately next week. With the start of the NBA season in full swing, we invite you to come and hashtag prop op on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. For example, in the NBA, you choose 5 out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $2 million in prizes since launching in 2018 and has thousands more guaranteed for the NBA this season. Use promo code JIMMY, that's J-I-M-M-Y, when you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag PropUp today. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. Wear your mask, keep your distance, and watch the NBA. See you next week.